0: Hello and greetings. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're Disciples Making Disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. I think it's safe to say, and you'll agree, that we definitely live in interesting times. For better or for worse, the United States of America at least seemed to be a comfortable place for Christians to live and to proclaim the gospel for many years. A lot of people have spoken about America having Judeo-Christian values. And without a doubt, Christianity did strongly influence the ideology of a very large number of its citizens for a very long time. But in many ways, the United States has made a lot of profound shifts over the past 35 to 60 years or so. Since around 1980, the nation's ethnic and racial composition has shifted drastically, where it used to be that... uh, uh, White people were 80% of the population, and now in some parts of the country, uh, whites are uh, now a minority. We have seen an influx of different types of immigrants than those we were used to. We were used to immigrants first coming from Europe in the 19th century, and then the later 20th century. Now we have Muslim, Hindu, and other immigrants who do not look like Europeans and have come from other parts of the world. And a lot of the fruit of ideologies and philosophies that have been promoted in America, as long as it's been America, uh, have really come forth. And we see these manifest in cultural shifts and attitude about faith and religion and sexuality and the roles that those things play in our culture and in our politics. And at the same time, globalization, consumerism, and a very rapacious form of capitalism, have recast the global and national economy. Because of it, some Americans have profited quite handsomely, but far more have found themselves stagnating or even declining in not only uh, economic benefits, but uh, social standing and prestige. And many communities have been economically devastated in the process. So as all these things are going on, they're all going on at once, a lot of people feel disoriented confused, even afraid, and angry. People want to know what's going on. They want to take their country back sometimes, is what they seem to say. They feel that their country has vanished, at least a country that they knew. And uh, that idea of taking America back is is really fear and anger speaking. And we see displays of racism, xenophobia, taking comfort in the various bromides and declarations of authoritarians and things of that sort. And therefore, it's very important for us to see the wisdom right now from the preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 10. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. things are different in some ways they may be worse some ways they're probably better but if nothing else we should be able to see that because of all the changes in the life of an average american over the past 35 to 60 years we can un- we should be able to understand why there's apprehension why there's fear and why all- why there's even resentment among a lot and as christians who live in america which, at least I am, and, and, and many who of you are, although some of you may be listening from other parts of the world, we're in the middle of all of this. And in, if you're in a different country, you may be in the middle of it in your country as well. Uh, in America, at least, a lot of us feel that the United States of America is our home. Uh, again, For me, and for many others, it's our birthplace. It's the only country we've ever really known. And others may have not been born here, but they may have their adopted homeland. And they recognize, therefore, its blessings and value because they willingly, consciously left another place and find that things are better in America. But if we've made, we're made to feel, though, at the same time, while we might seem like we're home, it feels like not quite home because we're being made to feel like we're aliens in our own land. Because if we believe in Jesus as the Christ, if we hold firm to the things that he teaches, we're starting to see that our fellow Americans are maligning us and stigmatizing us as bigoted, intolerant, that what we believe and teach are contrary to their values, that we're on the wrong side of history, and they're just waiting for the day that we are steamrolled into oblivion. I now, mean, if you're in other countries, that might be the way it's always been, and you look at Americans as a kind of a bemused attitude because that's what you've been dealing with the whole time. But for Americans, it's a new condition. Sure, there's always been doctrinal disagreements among those of us who have attempted to maintain the purity of the New Testament and to restore its principles compared to those who have been more content with the innovations and traditions of men. But those disagreements rarely led to the type of exclusion and disparagement that is seen today. Which leads us to a very important question. How are we supposed to live as Christians in American society, for instance, other societies in the world? Because there seems to be a lot of people who profess Christ who believe that the solution is to take back America, to seek to restore some previous cultural consensus. And yet, as we saw in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10, it's not from wisdom that you seek such things. And we do well to remember that nobody is saved by going back to that previous cultural consensus. And that even back then, whenever this mythological perfect time was, there was a lot that was actually quite against the purposes of God and Christ. A lot of very terrible things took place in the past, and things that uh, do not happen as much today. And there's stuff that's going on today that was going on then, too, that was awful. Even though this country supposedly masqueraded as a Christian nation. And instead, supposed to try to reestablish some previous cultural consents, we do well to look to Scripture for the solution. Because maybe we'll be able to recover the way Christianity at least used to be. But really, in reality, has always been. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you, as paroicus and parapidemus, either as an aliens and resident foreigners, or exiles and sojourners, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul believe that if we understand ourselves as sojourners and exiles, it will provide us a way forward to understand how we can live as Christians in modern America or in other countries around the world. And therefore, we do well to consider the idea of Christians as sojourners and exiles, how they're understood in Scripture, how Christians are to be sojourners and exiles, and how being sojourners and exiles can inform our approach to our environment. Because really, this the experience of the sojourner and the exile are hardwired into the story of God's election of Israel. In Genesis 1-11, through 11, when everything went wrong for humanity, when we were separated from God, separated from one another, separated from Christ, no hope in the world, God chooses one man. He chooses Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, in the heart of civilization at the time. He moves to Haran, and then God calls him out of both places. He calls him to be a sojourner, to live in a different land. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he's called to live in Canaan. And his nephew Lot goes as well. In fact, Abraham would sojourn in Canaan the rest of his life. He would have to sojourn from his sojourn at times, and sojourn in Egypt uh, at times in order to escape a famine or some other difficulty. In Genesis 12, 10 and 23, 4. Lot had the experience of being a sojourner in Sodom. And he wasn't received well when all of a sudden he stood up against the moral standards of the Sodomites. We see that in Genesis chapter 19. And in verse 9. Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn. He has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Which is terrifying warning for us all. The only place that Abraham ever owned in Canaan was the cave of Machpelah, which he bought in Genesis chapter 23 as a burial place for his wife, Sarah, and would ultimately be the place where he himself would be buried. In the Hebrew author in Hebrews chapter 11 speaks about Abraham's condition and talking about Abraham in verse 10. And so, notice that the Hebrew author talks, not just about Abram, but also Isaac and Jacob as well, that they're looking for something greater. They could have gone back to where they were from, but they didn't. That they were looking for a city with foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were looking for something better. And God is not ashamed to be their God, that he has prepared a city for them. This is going to be the theme that we will carry throughout. In Genesis 26, Isaac was told not to leave, but to stay in the land of Canaan. He never left Canaan his entire life, but he remained a sojourner the entire time. In Genesis 4, 7 and verse 9, when Pharaoh asks Jacob how old he is, he says that the years of his sojourning are 130 years, that they were few and evil, and that they weren't as many as a sojourning of his ancestors. And of course, Jacob is in Egypt at that point. Or in Genesis 15 and verse 13, that Abraham was told that his descendants would sojourn in a land which was not their own for 400 years, and they would be afflicted there. And we learn of the travails in the sojourn of Israel of Egypt in Exodus 1. All the things they were suffering, the hard labor, the oppression, attempting to kill the babies, the male babies, they were, they were. Uh, still propagating too often and too frequently and too too many. And in fact, in Exodus 2 and verse 22, Moses will name his son Gershom, which means sojourner, because he has been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now there's lots of things going on with that Egyptian sojourner. But one of the things that keeps getting brought up in the law, in Exodus 22-21, 23.9, 23, nine, Leviticus 19 and verse 34, and Deuteronomy 10 and verse 19. That they were not to, when they were given the law about the, what they were supposed to do when they got into the land, they were not to oppress sojourners, they were not to mistreat sojourners. They were to treat sojourners well, because, and, and, and God will say this every time, you were a sojourner in the land of Egypt. That Israel was to consciously always remember who they were, where they came from and that that was supposed to make a permanent mark on the way that they looked at those who lived among them. And not only those who lived among them, but also themselves. In Leviticus chapter 25 and in verse 23, it is written, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. There's a a strong critique on the far political left that the biggest problem with society was the demarcation of property. And you don't have to agree with everything that the radical left has to say to recognize that despite any benefits that may have come from a robust sense of property, that very much many of the difficulties among humans and the inequality among humans and a lot of the difficulties among humans has come when a line is drawn and somebody says this is mine this is mine this is mine is mine to use the way I want to use it and especially when it comes to land and understanding uh, how land is to be managed or stewarded etc and so even here Israel is not to see themselves as owning the land of Israel. They can never say, this land is mine. This land is Yahweh's. And Yahweh allows us to live here. And so we must allow it to be used in a way that glorifies Yahweh. They are always to be seen as sojourners in a very real way. But, in a much more obvious and compelling way, Israel uh, would come to be in Sojourn and yet profoundly shaped by exile. In Second Kings 17:23, the author of Kings lets us know that Israel was exiled from its land by Assyria, and in Second Kings 25:21, he'll say the same about Judah being exiled from its land by Babylon. Uh, Lamentation speaks about the despair of Jerusalem and the horrors of the of what, what they experienced and and what exile was going to be like, but hard to get past Psalm 137 as a great demonstration of the agony of exile. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing Yahweh's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So much agony. So much of a theological crisis. So many great theological questions that come out of this experience. Now in Jeremiah 29, 1-32, through 32, Jeremiah had written to the exiles. And he told them to live and endure in Babylon, to marry, have children. Seek the shalom, or welfare, or prosperity of the city in which they live. Uh, for in its shalom, you will find shalom. And we can see how that works out in many of the books. And Daniel, all in all, you think all the things going on in Daniel, Really, Daniel is talking about how he and his associates negotiated life in exile, especially in those first six chapters. And how, even though they were in the court of the pagan kings, they they found ways of glorifying God. Esther is a story of how Esther and Mordecai used the little they had to preserve and save the lives of their people. There are a lot of Jewish people who would return to Judah when Cyrus made his decree. But even though there be many people of Judah in the land, Israel did not feel as if its exile had ended. In fact, Zechariah, who is back in the land, in Zechariah chapter one, and verse seventeen said cry out again thus says Yahweh of hosts my city will again overflow with prosperity and Yahweh will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem in chapter 2 verse 11 and many nations shall join themselves to Yahweh in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you and Yahweh will inherit Judah as his portion of the holy land and he will again choose Jerusalem. Zechariah and the Israelites are back in the land, and yet he still sees the choice of Jerusalem, the return of Yahweh to Zion, as in the future. Because Israel might be in its land, but they were not in control of itself. The Davidic king was not reigning. Things were not right. In many ways, they were still in exile, while a pagan overlord oppressed them. Now, in Jesus of Nazareth, the hopes of Israel be fulfilled. God raised Jesus from the dead, and he now reigns over heaven and earth, as we can see in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, Acts 2, 36, 26, and 1 Peter 3, Now, we may receive citizenship and nationality in Christ. This is something very important. But we're sojourners, because we are in exile in the land ruled by the powers of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul talks about the great work that God has accomplished In saving mankind, he establishes in verses 11 through 18 that in Christ those who were far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near. And anything that divides Jew and Gentile has been broken down in Jesus' death and resurrection. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul declares, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Meanwhile, though, on earth we are fighting a battle in Ephesians six and in verse ten that are we're not wrestling though against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places so that we are in this very disorienting moment where we are humans on earth and we are dealing with all these different powers of darkness so we can see their work everywhere we can see the deception of the evil one and his forces all around us and how many blindly follow after it and how we're being persecuted because of it and, and and we see there's this whole cosmic drama going on, even though it may not be something we can see with our physical eyes, we can certainly ascertain it spiritually. And so, we're here, but we know that we're not, that everything is not well here. And that there is a discomfort, a dis-ease, so to speak, while we're here. And this is the reality that is Peter is declaring by calling us sojourners and exiles, or the elect exiles in 1 Peter 1 and verse 1. And this, of course, is what is, is envisioned so starkly in Revelation. In Revelation 4-11, through 11, God and the Lamb are reigning in heaven, and they render judgments against all the powers arranged against him, that the Christians on earth are sealed in Christ, and the Christians who have passed on are in the presence of God and the Lamb. But then in chapters 12 through 19, we see that Satan is envisioned as having been defeated in heaven, and because of that he's enraged, and he takes out his anger on those who are still on the earth. And he brings forth these beasts of Roman power and religion, which he empowers, they persecute Christians, they deceive the nations, uh, many Christians die, thus overcome the beast. But God ultimately brings judgment and a condemnation on the beasts, and the ultimate victory comes through the word of God. And this all gets us to this final goal that is envisioned in Scripture. That on the final day, when the final trump is sounded, that the dead will rise first and we who are alive will be caught up together with them and thus we will always be with the Lord. That in Revelation 21 and 22, this picture given of the new heavens and the new earth the heavenly Jerusalem comes down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. There's no more night there. There's no more darkness there. That God dwells in the midst of mankind forever. That we will no longer have to be sojourners and exiles. That we will have obtained that heavenly city with foundations that of which the Hebrew author has spoken, and share in the inheritance of Abraham. And that's this theme of sojourn and exile that we see throughout. So how are we supposed to see ourselves as sojourners and exiles? And it's important that these, these concepts are both there because they are important and they provide good boundaries for each other. When we think about the sojourner, we need to think about Abraham. Okay, He spends a lot of his life living in a foreign land without any real claim to any property. Uh, he never really belonged in Canaan. He, lot really didn't belong in Sodom in any meaningful way either. Were they in the land? Yes. Were they sustained and nourished by the land? Yes. But they didn't have any holdings among the land. And that's why the Hebrew author speaks so profoundly about it. That you know they, they looked at themselves as aliens and strangers, that they, they they were seeking something better. Because if they wanted to go back to their homeland, they could have. But they didn't. They stayed where they were. Likewise, when we look at think of exile. We think we should think about the experience of the Jewish people in Babylon. They didn't want to be there; it was forced. And what did they want to do? They want to go back. If if I ever forget Jerusalem, you Jerusalem, may I cut off my hand? May I cut out my tongue? I mean, they they don't can't even envision forgetting who they were and where they had come from. They had been conquered. They lived as a minority. They were always in danger of being oppressed. They lived in Babylon. Some would conform in li- to life in Babylon and lose their distinctiveness, but many others worked diligently to keep the songs of Zion in their hearts, and their goal was always to return. It would put a- be very tempting to focus primarily on exile, because it's very easy to feel like an exile. But the pr- difficulty with exile is that exile puts emphasis on the benefits of one's origin place. The Jewish people wanted to go back to the land of Judah, where they were from, and the goal as Christians is not to come back from where we're from, which is the world. We need to participate in the kingdom of God in Christ. And that's where the image of the sojourner keeps the emphasis off that place from which we came. Because, in fact, it shows that we have good reason to have left it. That we are ashamed of that which we had done in Romans 6.21. one. That is, the Hebrew author said, hey, if we wanted... To return, we could always go back there. You know, With exile, you want to go back to where you're from. And when they are a sojourner, well, you're a sojourner because you don't want to go back to where you're from. But the difficulty of the sojourner is that the sojourner is easily tempted to live in every respect like those in the land in which he lives. There's a constant temptation to conform to their environment. The exile, however, who is always keeping his mind really focused on another land, no matter how well things are going where he's at, his heart is elsewhere. And he is not as easily tempted. And that's why as Christians we need to recognize that we are both sojourners and exiles in different senses. We are sojourners in relation to the place from which we came. And that's how we understand our current experience. We also do well to see ourselves as exiles in our own land, that we remain distinct from its inhabitants, that we do not become trans- uh, conformed to this world, that we remain living sacrifices for God, that we do not uh, love the things of the world uh, because friendship with the world is enemy with God. Romans 12, 1, James 4, and 1 John chapter 2. And so, we are to be as sojourners and exiles. But how? Well, As Abraham was a sojourner in Canaan, so we are sojourners in America. Abraham lived in Canaan. He trusted in God. He lived among and worked with the people, but he did not share in their customs. So we live in America. We need to trust in God. We need to live and work among the people of America. But we are not to share their customs. 1 Corinthians 5.10, 1 John 2.14-16 and we need to pray for peace and tranquility. And we need to live peacefully in the land. We should not cause needless provocation. We need to give thought to things that are honorable in the sight of all men in Romans 12. And 2 Thessalonians 3.12, we need to work quietly. And First Timothy 2, 1-4, to pray for those in authority that we may live in peace and tranquility. But we need to remember that America is not really ours. We're also as exiles in the land, because as Israel was in Babylon, so we are in America. Israel was told that it would live there in Babylon for a while, and it should live there and seek its welfare. And so we're going to live in America for a while, and we're supposed to seek its welfare. We're supposed to pray for it. We're supposed to observe the laws. We're supposed to pay taxes. We're supposed to give honor to whom honor is due. In Romans 12 and 13, verse 3, 37. But Israel wasn't under any delusions. They weren't really expecting to reform Babylon. Expecting the Babylonians to all suddenly follow the living God. But they strove to honor God in their lives. And that they would speak about God as they had opportunity. But they remained fully aware that Babylon was pagan. And would continue to be pagan. And that's the way it is for Christians in America. It is the gospel that is God's power to salvation. And Americans can be saved, because God wants all people to be saved to come to knowledge of truth in First Timothy 2 and verse 4. But America as a nation state cannot be redeemed. We cannot expect to make this land of our sojourn and exile our homeland. Instead, we need to call those among whom we live to join us in sojourn and exile, that we are to live as citizens of the heavenly kingdom of God in Christ. In Philippians 1 and verse 27, Paul says, what is translated in the English Standard Version, as, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It has a note that says, only behave as citizens worthy. And that's a very good, because the idea of of that verb, is that it's to live as a citizen. To conduct ourselves as a citizen of the kingdom. That we are always to see ourselves in some ways an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And that we are living according to the customs of the kingdom of God, yet in a different land. And so we do well to live quietly, peaceably. That we strive to live according to the gospel of Christ. That we set in order all that is chaotic. To establish justice and righteousness as we have opportunity. But to recognize that the forces of darkness are in control until the final enemy, death, is conquered. And that's only going to happen when the Lord returns that our true allegiance always belongs elsewhere, and that we are but sojourners and exiles in this land. So as Christians in America, we simultaneously feel at home and yet in a strange place, as citizens and yet as foreigners, as part of it, yet it held at arm's length. And it always has to be that way. Or we have conformed to our culture, and we have ceased to be of Christ and have been in are of America. And that's why we do well to see ourselves as Abraham and Canaan and Israel and Babylon, as sojourners and exiles, both alien and strange to the land and finding the land, alien and strange. We need to give thought to the welfare of the land and its inhabitants. We need to harbor no delusions about redeeming the land. Our goal must always be to live as kingdom citizens, to encourage others to join us and to do the same. And we cannot be deceived about this. Unless we acclimate ourselves to living as sojourners and exiles. Or we're going to acclimate ourselves to our environment. We're going to conform to this world. We're going to love the things of the world. And that will be to our eternal shame. And that is why we do well to seek to approach Mount Zion and the heavenly city. To desire the better country of the kingdom of God in Christ. And to live as citizens of that kingdom until he returns. Again, so glad that you've joined us. We hope that you've... Uh, I've been encouraged by this, and has some things perhaps to consider. If we can be of any service in any way, if I can, if you want to talk more about these things, if you'd like to learn more about how to follow the Lord Jesus, or maybe need a talk or a prayer request, please let me know. Please contact me through my website at devovita That's www.DeVerboVitae.com. dot com. And if you're interested in more information about the venture to Christ, maybe you'd like to hear some more sermons. Maybe you'd like to. Enroll Bible correspondence course. Maybe uh, you'd like to read our uh, weekly uh, publication, The Voice. If there's any way we can be of spiritual encouragement or service to you, you can find us at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org, and we're also many prominent forms of social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.